Welcome to the Buddha Sasana Podcast. This talk was given by Bhikkhu Chintita in Austin, Texas. Today we want to talk about cognizance. Cognizance is the central link in the whole chain, and its presence has been implicit or explicit in every downstream link we've discussed. Nyanananda asserts, to see the arising of cognizance is to see the law of dependent arising. Without cognizance, there would be no conceptual experience. Ergo, there would be no world. Whatever we turn our attention to, it is a product of cognizance is painted by cognizance, is grown, expands, and flourishes by cognizance. We commonly naively presume the primacy of natural reality and the receptivity of cognizance as a faculty that simply reflects that reality impartially like a mirror or a video camera. This is cognitively or epistemetically incoherent and is also inconsistent with the parameter of insubstantiality. In fact, when dependent arising is taught with this presumption in mind, it leads to inevitable confusion, leaving us entangled in the teachings as well as in sangsara. This presumption is simply the natural attitude that we talked about in a previous talk, elevated to the level of doctrine. Recall that all phenomena are preceded by mind, led by mind, made by mind. Vijnana, the Pali word for cognizance, is yet another variant of jnana, knowledge. With the prefix we, it means literally knowledge apart or discriminative knowledge. Hence, it is conceptual. It is most often translated as consciousness, sometimes as discernment. It is the last of the five aggregates. Its fundamental function is to construct the world conceptually. I've called the name factors of a previous talk cognitive factors. In fact, they are each inseparable from cognizance itself. Feeling, perception, and cognizance, friend, these states are conjoined, not disjoined, and it is impossible to separate each of these states from the others in order to describe the difference between them. For what one feels, that one perceives, and what one perceives, that one cognizes. That is why these states are conjoined, not disjoined, and it is impossible to separate each of these states from the others in order to describe the difference between them. I dare say that the other name factors can also be identified with cognizance in this way as well. However, name and form on the one hand and cognizance on the other highlight different dimensions of the cognitive process, transitory and continuous. 
any process is a continuous stream of transitory events. Cognizance is consistently represented as one of these transitory cognitive events in the Buddha Vachana, forever arising anew, doing its thing, and then vanishing. Name and form, on the other hand, is an aggregation of persisting meanings of cognitive events, much in the manner of ongoing negotiations among committee members. In this way, cognizance is the house-builder of name and form, constructing an understanding of the world and a game plan. We've already witnessed cognizance in this role in earlier talks. Recall that the short life cycle of cognizance is characterized by two phases, descent, find a site, something already experienced within the experiential world, and then growth, augment the content of the experiential world at that site. An instance of cognizance descends to a site and growth occurs. For instance, it lands on the catchy tune, which then blossoms into an array of melody and rhythm or an orchestra of strings, brass, and percussion functioning as a harmonious whole. Name and form represents our world which consists of sites available for descent, where growth then occurs. It's in name and form that cognizance finds an object. It is here that a world is created. This requires that name and form persists before and after the event of cognizance. We should note that the two-step process of cognizance is exactly the same process already introduced in relation to becoming, but with regard to aggregates rather than to name and form. It's worth repeating that the most striking quality of cognizance is that it carries meaning, that is, that it is cognizant of something, where that something lies beyond the event of cognizance itself and typically in the outer world. For instance, we can be cognizant of a dog barking or of the moon rising. Cognizance per se is the momentary awareness of the dog or the moon, not the dog or the moon itself, which, for all we know, might persist long beyond the cognitive event or not exist at all. The persistence of name and form allows the presumption that we are cognizant of the same dog as before. Why, that's Fido, or of the same moon, and that objects persist out there when we are not looking at them. Effectively, name and form as cognizance is memory, although the Buddha never describes it this way. Meanwhile, cognizance does its work with astonishing facility, insight, and imagination. It conjures up with ease a wondrous world out there, then points to it as if it were simply bearing silent witness and finally convinces us that it is real. Cognizance as the origin of name and form. We can think of name and form as a workshop and cognizance as the craftsman who enters, turns raw materials into half-finished products and half-finished products into wondrous things and then leaves. 
Or we can think of the factors of name and form as apprentices in the workshop, but frozen in time as cognizance, the master craftsman descends, finishes up what the apprentices have wrought, and leaves some wondrous object. Without the workshop, there can be no master craftsman. Without the master craftsman, it's not a workshop. Without cognizance, there could not be an aggregation of name and form. Without name and form, cognizance would have nowhere to descend. In the seminal Mahanidana Sutta, we learn that cognizance and name and form are mutually conditioning. This cognizance turns back from name and form. It does not go beyond. Insofar as one can be born or grow old or die or pass away or reappear, insofar as this is, namely, cognizance is dependent on form and name and form on cognizance. All of the downstream links are sustained by this mutual conditioning of cognizance and name and form, which we can represent as cognizance gives rise to name and form and name and form gives rise to cognizance. The interplay of cognizance and name and form was already implicit in the artist simile some talks back, in which the painted surface repeatedly provides focal points to which the brush stroke descends, thereby augmenting the painted surface, providing more sights to which cognizance might later descend. It is in the nature of cognizance to find a site in name and form, and reciprocally name and form cannot grow nor long be sustained without cognizance. Sariputta gives us another analogy for this mutual conditioning. Suppose, Suppose there, there were two bundles of reeds leaning up against each other. In the same way, name and form are conditions for cognizance. Cognizance is a condition for name and form. Name and form are conditions for the sixfold sphere. The sixfold sphere is conditioned for contact. That is how this entire mass of suffering originates. If the first of those bundles of reeds were to be pulled away, the other would collapse. And if the other were to be pulled away, the first would collapse. In the same way, when name and form cease, cognizance ceases. When cognizance ceases, name and form ceases. When name and form ceases, the sixfold sphere ceases. When the sixfold sphere ceases, contact ceases. That is how this entire mass of suffering ceases. Another way to think about the dynamics of cognizance and name and form is that the two continuously orbit around each other to form a cycle, vata, which we will translate as whirlpool, sometimes translated as vortex, or which, living in Texas, I tend to picture as a tornado. The interplay of cognizance and name and form underlies the entirety of samsaric life. Insofar only, Ananda, can one be born or grow old or die or pass away or reappear. Insofar only is there any pathway for verbal expression, insofar only is there any pathway for terminology, 
insofar only is there any pathway for designation, insofar only is the range of wisdom, insofar only is the cycle kept going for there to be a designation of thisness, that is to say, name and form together with cognizance. Name and form and cognizance set the parameters and provide the material in which samsara plays out. It is on the basis of designation that we are cognizant of, that cognizance can conjure up a reality out there within name and form. Cognizance then fills that world with stuff, gives us a self with a reason to crave it, gives that self a personality as a suffering creature with needs and fears, intent on self-preservation, and makes it all seem so real. It's through personality that there is something there to be born, to grow old, to die, or to reappear. This interaction provides the conditions under which the entirety of the experiential world arises. The dynamics of the whirlpool. To repeat, we encounter cognizance in relation to becoming. To repeat, we encountered cognizance in relation to becoming, where it was described as the engine responsible for the growth of the experiential world, but in relation to the aggregates in lieu of name and form. As long as cognizance remains, it remains involved with form supported by form, founded on form, and with a sprinkle of relishing, it exhibits growth, increase, and flourishing. As for form, so for feeling, perception, formations. The whirlpool of cognizance and name and form is exactly the same engine of growth. We might notice that many passages that describe the downstream consequences of the whirlpool refer to birth, but skip over the intermediate links of the sixfold sphere, contact, feeling, craving, and appropriation. The explanation is that the whirlpool is also a direct condition, albeit a cross-entanglement, for becoming, which is why it was introduced so early in this series of talks. In brief, an alternative chain of dependent co-arising might be formulated. Ignorance gives rise to formations, gives rise to cognizance, gives rise to name and form, gives rise to becoming, gives rise to birth, gives rise to this mass of suffering. The longer chain running through craving will intersect at becoming to encourage growth and personality but will have its origin in early instances of cognizance. In short, the actual dynamics of dependent co-arising is much more complex and entangled than the logic of the linear chain suggests. The name factor of attention corresponds to the involved with referred to in the last passage. Recall that attention is a focus of mental activity likely involving a complex of cognitive factors at the same time. Attention plays a significant role in determining the site of descent. 
Relishing encourages the involvement of attention and thereby the subsequent growth of the aggregates, or name and form. Growth increase and flourishing is a recurring description of growth of the experiential world. The following passage describes growth from yet another perspective. For one dwelling bhikkhus watching the allure in phenomena which leads to bondage, there is descent of cognizance, conditioned by cognizance, there is name and form. Watching the allure in phenomena likewise involves attention in establishing a locus for descent within name and form, encouraging growth as new phenomenal content. There is name and form. The new content provides new potential points of attention and possibly allure. One cognizance event after another aggregates the world in this way. Cognizance is present in all cognitive processes, though not always explicitly mentioned. Recall the following passage dealing with proliferation, which we discussed in an earlier talk in relation to the fishing expedition triggered by feeling. What What one one feels, that one perceives. What one perceives, that one thinks about. What one thinks about, that one mentally proliferates. With what one has mentally proliferated as the source, perceptions and notions born of mental proliferation beset a man with respect to past, future, and present phenomena cognizable through the mind. Cognizance produces content at perception and again at thinking. At proliferation, a series of cognizance events in quick succession begins, producing new content, shifting attention to the new content, producing yet newer content, and so on. Proliferation is this process repeating itself and running wild and ultimately growing the experiential world quickly and erratically, generally in unhealthy ways. Fishing for content that might be of subsequent interest for craving appropriation and becoming. Whatever cognizance arises, growth within becoming also arises. Craving for becoming is generally present as an encouraging force in sustaining this fishing expedition, creating across-the-board hunger for the nutriments of contact, mental activity, and cognizance. If craving for sensuality is present where cognizance descends, growth becomes directed towards seeking to fulfill self-centered needs through assessment and planning. As newly produced objects arise, they may be craved in turn for their instrumental role in those plans. Craving will often flow along such links of conditionality, drawing in new instances of cognizance to grow further assessment and planning, as described in earlier talks. This process is rooted in greed, hatred, and delusion. Cognizance is also present as phenomena are objectified and appropriated, producing the development of a personal footprint, a personality within becoming. Our personal footprint becomes a strong locus of craving for becoming and thereby tends to sustain 
attention and encourage accelerated growth, increase, and flourishing. Cognizance is like the artist Artist or or painter painter using using dye or lac or or turmeric or indigo or crimson to create the figure of a man or woman complete in all its features on a well-polished plank or wall or canvas, discussed in an earlier talk. Cognizance spinning around name and form is the basis for the playing out of all of the downstream links, flooding the downstream factors with new things to feel, crave, and appropriate, kerosene for the fires of greed, hate, and delusion. A key factor in this process that remains to be discussed is cognizance's vexing tendency to place objects out there in accord with the natural attitude, to presume, much like a well-targeted advertisement, things that are substantial, reliable, stable, real, and worthy of feeling, craving, and appropriation. This is the source of contact. We'll stop here for today. Next week, we'll learn how cognizance is magic. Thank you.